Let us turn now in God's holy word to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, here this evening we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 21. About half of this wonderful prayer of revival, which God's people are praying before Almighty God. And this evening we're going to be looking at the first part, which is the attitude of this prayer. Uh, The attitude of this prayer, but in two weeks' time... In the next sermon in the series, we're going to be looking at the purpose of this prayer. But let us think about the book of Nehemiah before we read. And so much of the book of Nehemiah, of what is good and what is wonderful out of it, begins with prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah hears of the distress and the downfall and the, the state of the city of Jerusalem. And he responds in prayer. And wonderfully, months later, his, his prayer is answered. In Nehemiah chapter 4, in response to the enemies of God, Tobiah and Sanballat, how does Nehemiah respond? Prayer, once more. This book is soaked in prayer as much of our lives should be. And now in Nehemiah chapter 9, in response really... To Nehemiah chapter 8. Responding to how they had fallen. Short. Of God's standards. Of the glory of God. Hopefully here this evening. We're going to see that. Revival doesn't come in a vacuum. It comes. In God moving his people. To see how much they need him. And brings about a change in attitude. A change in how we approach God in our prayers. And this all happens, of course, in God's timing and in God's way. So let us read now Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 21. Let us hear God's holy word. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, Canani, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kedmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabadniah, Pethahiah, and they and said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram 
And brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And gave him the name Abraham. He found his heart faithful before you. And made with him the covenant to give to his offspring. The land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths, as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down among Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and the law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in To possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously. And stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had commanded and committed great blasphemies. You, in your great mercies, did not forsake them in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way. Did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. We'll be looking at that text now in our sermon under the title, Prayer of Revival. Prayer of Revival. And this will be the first part, looking at its attitude. Its attitude. In church life, we're all... Prone to extremes, aren't we? Every single last one of us, myself included. Uh, Some of us can lean more towards uh, we're the work, work, work type of people. Perhaps we, we get anxious if we rest at all. And then some of us, uh, perhaps thinking, well, God is sovereign, so it 
doesn't really matter what I do. Neither extreme is good. And it's about finding the right balance in between. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is in control. But God uses means. God uses means. And if you've grown up in a Christian home, you've seen God use means in your life. Perhaps the Lord used your parents to reach you with the gospel. And I'm sure there was instruction in the home. That is some of the means God used in your life. Or perhaps a Sabbath school teacher. Or a preacher that pointed out the way of salvation and you turned to him. God uses means. Now God does not need anything, does he? He doesn't need anything from us. And so it is with revival. God, yes, he brings revival. He brings revival in his way and in his timing, but he uses means. And it comes about when there's a change in the attitude of God's people. And we will see this in our text here this evening. How is it possible? Yes, God did it. But there's a change in the people of God. Without it, without this change of attitude, without seeing, we fall short of the glory of God and there's all things we need to work on. As they saw in Nehemiah chapter 8, as the word of God was explained before them, then they see their dependency. Then they come before God with the right attitude. God uses means to change attitudes and bring his people closer to him. So let us see here now this evening the attitude on which we must come and should come before Almighty God. And what we can learn about this prayer of revival, and may it bring revival in our own day. So our first point here this evening is number one, an attitude of awe. An attitude of awe. Verses 1 to 5, we will not read all of them, but we'll just read a few verses from verses 1 to 5. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. And we're told as well, they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers in verse 2. Verse 3, and they stood up in their place and read the book of the law of the Lord their God from one fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now look at how when they prayed, the, the leadership, uh, the, the, the Levites and others, the teachers, how they prayed before God. Verse 5 says this. Halfway through verse 5. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Stand up and bless the Lord your God Forever and ever. This attitude of awe. This attitude of awe. In this prayer. Which brought about great blessings. Great blessings. It is no casual prayer. Is it? In fact. When the Lord moves us. He takes away all casualness. From us. 
We are addressing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're coming into his presence. And when they come into the presence of Almighty God, what do they see? They see that they're sinners. And they see their sin and they want to be separated from it. Verse 2. Then those of the, the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. There was a separation from the sinful activity of the past. This was the mixed marriages that took place in that day. I love drinking coffee and I'm going to share one thing with you. I, I usually never wear a white shirt for that reason. Because I love drinking coffee and I hate the idea of spilling any coffee on the shirt. I always wear blue shirts. That's just a little thing about me. But there's the fear of that dreaded brown stain on a white shirt, isn't there? If you're ever eating pasta sauce with a red shirt, you're nervous. Whiteness brings out a stain far more than any other background color. And the embarrassment of having that stain on your shirt is all to do with who you're coming into the presence of and all to do with what you're doing. All to do with what you're doing. When you're coming into the presence of somebody of high position, high authority, high power. Well, our spiritual clothes have more than just one or two stains on them. They are filthy. Our own natural clothes, which represents our works, they are filthy. The filthiness of sin becomes clearer and clearer the more we're in the presence of God. The more we're in the presence of His his radiant whiteness and His glory and His power. And we look at our sins and we think, how can I have done such a thing? Sin is so heartbreaking because of how wonderful God is. And that's how we can come into the presence of God with all. That's how we can come into the presence of Him. Because He's so amazing. He's so amazing. And the shame of our clothes. We we look at Him and we think, holy, holy, holy. Radiant, whiteness. Glorious splendor, so wonderful, we can barely wrap our minds around it. We can't look at his front parts as Moses could only see his back parts. Majestic, radiant in his perfections. And it is that in that context we come to him in awe. We come to him in awe. The children here. I wonder if you've ever come and seen somebody do something. Maybe one of your friends. Maybe someone at school does something amazing. And you say, wow. I, I cannot understand how you did that. Far more when we come into the presence of God. It's a sense of wow, but more than that. Sense of we're so in shock and in awe, we can barely speak. We're coming into the presence of Almighty God. This is, this is the prayer of revival. And when we, when we have a sense of who we're coming before, this attitude flows out of that. To appreciate who He is. 
and to appreciate how bad sin is. We can only see how bad sin is when we see how wonderful he is. And they separate from it. And they're listening to the word of God. When we have the awe of God, we must be listening to the word of God. Verse 4. Actually, sorry, verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read the book of the law of the Lord, the Lord their God from, for one-fourth of the day. This isn't just 15 minutes. And I, and I praise God if you're reading your Bible daily. But do you see there's a sense of urgency about it. One-fourth of the day is not a short time. It is not a short time. We need to spend quality time with God. To appreciate how wonderful He is. And to see our dependence on Him. Let all the earth fear the Lord. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Psalm 33 verse 8. It talks about fear there in that psalm. With awe there's a sense of trembling, isn't there? There's a sense of deep, reverent respect. I wonder if any of the boys and girls have ever been in trouble. I bet nobody here has ever been in trouble with their parents. But if you have, and you hear the door turning, you know your father or your mother is coming into the room. And perhaps even some of the other people might still remember those days where you jumped. There's a a fear. There's a respect. There's a reverence. There's a, hopefully a sense of disappointment. You don't want to disappoint the one you respect. And that is only possible. This deep respect and love is only possible if there's a love there. Because we love God. Because we are in awe of him. So an attitude of awe. An attitude of awe. An attitude of allegiance now we're going to look at. An attitude of allegiance. Verses 6 to 8. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You alone are God. You are the Lord God. You are the one who chose Abraham. You are that God. This is the attitude. They're coming before him in prayer. The the sense of who he is. We think highly of him in prayer. Highly of him in prayer. And we must come before him with a sense of he is worthy to be obeyed. Why is he worthy to be obeyed? Because of who he is. Our highest allegiance is not to our family. Not our earthly family. It's not to our earthly friends. 
It's not to our things. It's not to our hobbies. Or sports or anything else. It is to God. The highest allegiance. And that must come forward in our prayers. In our prayers. But to God alone. To God alone. Verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven. He's made everything. Everything that is in heaven and earth has been made by him. So he can say, mine, mine. He is the one who is worthy. God is. He never began to exist. And he will never need anything from anyone at any stage in history. But this world, with things we often, it's filled with things mere men worship and serve, isn't it? Have all been created by God. In fact, we worship and serve if we serve idols. Things which depend upon God. He is worthy of our adoration, He is worthy of our service. Everything depends on God, so much so that He preserves it. The earth and everything in it, the seas and all that in them, and you preserve them all. You preserve them all. It says in Colossians 1.16 and 17, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created Through him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, all things are held together, all things are maintained, all things are preserved. Everything depends upon God. Even the unbelievers, rebellion, to have a breath in his lungs, to have the strength to do it. Even depends upon the strength of God. The God he hates. Isn't he worthy of all allegiance? All loyalty. If we come before him in disrespect. Not showing him the honor and the loyalty he deserves. What should we expect if Children ever came before their parents. And perhaps they start using their first name. I hope children you've never used the first name of your father or your mother. Because it might seem as deep disrespect. And what would you expect if you said very casually to your parents. Hi Bob. It would seem very strange. Very disrespectful. And then you're saying can I have some sweets. Would you expect That to be a yes or a no. And these are just in human relationships with your parents. Who deserve respect, honor your father and your mother. The fourth commandment. What should we expect with God? If we're just coming casually. If we're just coming with a God is my buddy type attitude. That we see in much of the wider church today. We lower God. And we lower Bring him down to us. What do we expect? Answer to prayer? 
we must come before God recognizing who he is. And not only recognizing who he is in allegiance to him, recognizing that he is worthy. To make us change and to see our need to be changed and brought into the conformity with him. So we've looked at an attitude of awe, an attitude of allegiance. Number three, now we're going to look at an attitude of admiration. An attitude of admiration. So we've talked about how God is worthy because of who he is. Now we're going to look at how we need to admire him and love him for what he does. For what he does. To admire his works. Verse 9. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. Verse 10, you saw signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself, as it is this day. And then skipping down to verse 12. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire and you gave them light on the road which you sh- which they should travel and this prayer as they mention and they go back to the past works of God these wonderful works they should bring us to a sense as the, we think about them as we love God uh, to a sense of admiring him These works which point towards how glorious and merciful he is. When we come before God, we must come to the one we adore. And admire more than all others. More than all others. And we all have people, don't we? There are people in our lives that we admire. Then we admire, we think highly of them. They do things we think are deeply praiseworthy. We, we see them and we think, I want to be more like that person. I want to live more like him. And they have major influence on our lives and behavior far more than we realize. Young boys here, it may be an older brother you look up to. Someone you think highly of. Something for older brothers to think about. You are a big influence. Probably on your younger brothers. Or perhaps you look up to your father. Or maybe an uncle in your family. Young girls here. They may look up to friends. Mothers. uh, A teacher at school. Whoever that person is. That person you admire. It is because they do things you think are praiseworthy. You think they're great. And you wish you were more like them. And this is a reason that our friends, and I want you to listen to this young people, your friends in school will be vitally important to you. I have seen many cases of people, young people who have departed from the faith for a time Because of their friends. Friends will influence you. 
Bad friends can lead you into a bad path, and I can speak from personal experience of the the influence of bad friends. However, with God, all his acts and his influence is wonderful, 100% in all that he does. And the more we study of what he has done, it is praiseworthy. And we admire him. Do we wish to be like him? So when we come before the throne of grace, we are telling him almost, we are telling him of all the wonderful things that he has done. We admire him for it. We, we, we place before him the, his acts of mercy, his acts of love toward his people. We should remember, shouldn't we? As they did here. Answered prayer from the past. Not just even from our own past. We must remember we come from hundreds of years of history. Going right back. To the time of Cain and Abel even. Righteous Abel. All the way through to now. We have a glorious history of answered prayer. As is recounted here. The more we meditate upon God's works. If we love him, the more we will admire him and think, look at what he has done. Look at how gracious he is. Look at how patient he is. Look at how, how has he been so patient with a people as sinful as we are. And this is all through God's spirit. But perhaps if you're not a Christian here this evening, the more you study the, the works of God, the more it makes you not love him, not admire him, but it makes you angry with him. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. You need a new heart and a new nature, a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. Because God's works, they show his power, they show his glory, and they show his grace and his love. In verse 10 it says this, You showed signs and wonders, the power against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. And in that pouring out of the demonstration of the strength and the power of God, what does he do? He delivers his people, those trusting in him, those delivered by the, the, the blood of the Passover lamb. We should, as God's people, wish to learn more about his works. To admire him more. And to wish to be more like him. Because it may, when I say this, may, a reason for us not wanting to spend time in the word of God is perhaps we don't love his works. And we should come in thankfulness for his works of the past when we come before him in prayer. All that he does is good and he owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. Our final point here, this Sabbath evening, an attitude of acceptance An attitude of acceptance. So we've looked at an attitude of awe, allegiance, admiration, and finally, number four, acceptance. Acceptance. 
Things go wrong in life. I think we all acknowledge that. Very few of us, perhaps none of us, have had perfection and no troubles throughout life. And perhaps the question has arisen in your mind. Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? And you perhaps have struggled maybe in your life to find an answer to that question. Why is there suffering in the world? In Nehemiah's day, the leadership and and the people praying together may have struggled to see where their problems of the past come from. Um, They may have in the past, but they certainly did no longer. They accepted that it was their covenant breaking. Their covenant breaking before God. Verses 16 down to halfway through 17. Verse 16. But they... Our fathers acted proudly and hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. They saw in the midst of this prayer. The problems of our past. We have no right to grumble. It's all because of our covenant breaking. I'll put it another way. The problems in the world. Have been caused by sinful human beings. Not God. Sinful human beings. Beings and the problems of their past and any of the suffering they went through was because of their sin. God's people were warned what would happen. They were, they were warned long before this what would happen if they broke the covenant and if they refused to be reformed according to God's will. Leviticus 26 verse 23 to 25 And if by these things You are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me. Then I also will walk contrary to you. And I will punish you seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant when you are gathered together within your cities. I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. They accepted and they came accepting. Here's the source of our problems. It's us. The source of our problems is us. It is not you, oh God. Because we can come, can't we, before the throne of grace. Bitter. We can come complaining about something we have no right to complain about. Oh God, why did you take that beloved person from me? Or we could think, oh God, thank you for bringing that person into my life. It may have been a short time. It may have been a brief moment. But thank you for that life. We cannot complain. We cannot complain before God. He has been so gracious to us. He has been so gracious to us. And yes, we do suffer in this world. That's one of the hardest things. We suffer and we wonder why. 
and we cry out in pain at times. And we don't know why. But we have no right to complain. We have no right to complain. God is so, he is so wonderful to us. And as we come before him, we must see that we live in a sinful world. And we've come into a world that has inherited Adam's sin. And that is the reason for the suffering around us. This is the spirit of revival. This is the attitude of revival. It's saying that all the goodness, all the blessings, that they come from God. And all the pain and all the suffering, it sources in the heart of us. Revival doesn't come in a vacuum. It doesn't come in a vacuum. If you go through a church history, you'll always see this. God impressing upon, not, yes, the people outside the church, yes. But impressing upon us of our sin. And our breaking. Of the law of God. And seeking to be more like him. And accepting of the reason for the decline. And even in our nation today. Is because we don't depend enough upon him. And in those moments. God's people cry out to God. They stop neglecting giving God the glory. And they stop neglecting. Spending serious time with God. Serious time with God. And accepting who we are. We're sinners. We are sinners in need of God. And accepting the reason. There's another thing we need to accept as well. The reason we can come before God at all. The only reason we can come before God. Is not because we are in any way good. Or because we had a good day. We can come before God for this reason and for this reason only. 17, halfway through 17, it says this. But you are a God, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. We can only, when we come before here, you know, we can get, we can get into a kind of a pattern, a routine, or, you know, and, and tick the boxes. And it's such a dangerous thing that we forget who we're coming before and why we can even come before him in the first place. We can only come because he's so merciful. And he's slow to anger. Abundant in kindness. He allows us. And we have broken his law. But he has allowed us to come into his presence. And they see this in our text. They see this. They have accepted it. And it is a hard thing to accept brethren. If we see the depths of our sin. And we see the depths of the kindness of God. says in 1 John verses 2 verse 1 my little children these things I write to you so that 
you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is why. Our acceptance before God is because we're accepted in Christ only for that reason. No, not because of you had a good day. Not because of anything else. Not because you've been raised in the Christian family. But because of Jesus Christ. If you can come before God at all. And that is such an almighty privilege. We need revival. And yes, we need revival in the land. But we need it in our hearts. We need it in our churches. And we need it in our homes. Revival, it spills out to there. But it has to start in here. The attitude of God's people. It must be in awe. It must be an allegiance and an admiration of this God. So that he gets all the glory. When we do cry out to him. And he gets all the glory. Those are the times. Typically. In God's timing and in God's way. That revival comes. Amen.